Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Starting on the left. Chargers, Giants. Yep. San Fran. The f*** is that guy? No chance you're getting this one. Zero percent chance. No clue. Uh, Jets. Uh, after Jets, nothing. I don't even, I've never seen that man in my fucking life. Uh, so good. I mean, three in a row. I have no idea who those dudes are. That was our offensive coordinator, Shane Steigen for the Coles. Come on, Travis. So who's next to Dougie P? Who the f- you should know that? that one. You should definitely know that one. I know one. D'Amico. Who's the other one? You should know him because he's arguably your biggest rival. Oh, that is. Yeah, that's Cincy. He's a dog. Start with Matt Foley. Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Foley. Um, again, never seen this f***ing guy in my life. That's <laughs> my defense according. Miami. God damn it. <laughs> There's no way that guy coaches in the NFL, man. Then Pete Carroll, Harbaugh, obviously, you know, the next Rivera, Broncos country, let's ride, Gordon Bombay, we got the Packers, and then no clue, and then Bills. <laughs> that was awesome. That was yesterday. The New Heights podcast, the Kelsey brothers, Travis... Not knowing the names of most of the coaches in the NFL, at least being able to attach, I'd say, 60% of them to the teams they coach, then otherwise a lot of I don't know who the F that guy is. Hopefully you know who the F I am. Otherwise you're wondering what you're doing here. It's PFT Live. Peter King will be joining us. He is not in his usual position. We are trying to get him to a point where he can hear me. It's always easier to have a conversation when you can hear the other person for now, just listen to me. We're here on Peacock, Series XM85, Sky Sports Action, unless they decide not to show this today because of our technical difficulties. And I think they've done that to us in the not-too-distant past and also podcast, wherever you happen 
to get your podcast. It has been a rollicking week. Peter was at the league meetings in Arizona, so he'll have some insights for us once we get him. Obviously, Chris and I weren't. We had some fun with that throughout the week because we realized at about this time last week, last Wednesday, last Thursday, even over the weekend, why aren't we there? Why aren't we going? How did this come to be? And we had a little we had a little fun joking about the fact that we weren't there, but we weren't there. We will be there next year. We've learned the hard way that it's an event that we need to be at, even though it does make it more difficult to do the show, given that when it's in Arizona, it's a few hours behind our usual time, and you can't exactly get guests to come to the site at 5 a.m. So we end up doing most of the show the day before and then putting it in the can, getting a normal night's sleep and getting as many interviews as we can the next day. So we'll do that next year. And now we stand less than four weeks until the draft. We've gotten through free agency. We still see dribs and drabs of signings coming through. Players whose names you may not recognize unless you follow the league very carefully. And even if you follow the league very carefully, like me, some of the names you may not recognize. Kind of like Travis Kelsey trying to figure out who the F Josh McDaniels is. That's the one that surprised me the most. He coaches a team that the Chiefs play twice per year. And I'd like to think he's one of the more recognizable figures in the NFL, given the fact that he was attached to Bill Belichick for all those years. He was the coach of the Broncos more than a decade ago. To me, you would know who Josh McDaniels is. Dennis Allen, we had some discussions among ourselves that he doesn't exactly stand out. Some of the other newer coaches, like Matt Eberflus of the Bears, I had to really put on my thinking cap. Steichen and Gannon, guys who don't really stand out, guys who aren't all that memorable. So I can understand most of the confusion that Travis Kelsey had, but Josh McDaniels was a surprise, as was the time that it took him to figure out who Zach Taylor is. And on top of that, the complete blank he drew when Browns coach Kevin Stefanski passed through the screen because he at least has a unique look with the salt and pepper beard. Looks like Negan from The Walking Dead show. I would think that that Travis Kelsey would have had it register in his mind at some point over the past few years who Stefanski is, given that they played the Chiefs, or the Chiefs played the Browns, excuse me, in the 2020 playoffs and then again to start the 2021 season. You'd think that that would have, have anchored for Kelsey who the F Kevin Stefanski is. All right, still waiting to hear whether or not we're going to have Peter King. I'll move on to some of the, do we We do not have Peter King yet. See, this would be the time in the show where we talk about things other than football, especially on a day where there isn't an overabundance of things to discuss. And a lot of the things that Peter and I are going to discuss once we get him will be his take on some of the issues of the week because Peter is plugged in as anyone and has great ideas and and feedback and thoughts on on the biggest issues of the day, especially, as I said, because he was right in the middle of everything in Phoenix. So I'll get right to it on my own. You know, I had a weird feeling. This is funny. It wasn't quite a, quite a premonition, but Courtney can attest to this. I had a feeling we weren't going to have Peter at all today because Peter didn't respond to the text thread that we used to communicate the outline for the show for the day. We have different text threads for the different co-hosts. So we have a specific one for Peter and he didn't respond to it 
directly to the the the, the outline text group. So I'm thinking. It would, I remember him saying at some point he's going to Hawaii after the league meetings. Like, did he just not get this? And is it just going to be me tomorrow? And I had this weird feeling laying in bed last night. It's just going to be me on Friday. And I was right so far. Wrong idea, but right result. Here I am filling time, flying solo like I used to years ago, although I could pull in stats years ago. So I at least had somebody who could take the heat off when I get into a spot where I don't know what the hell I'm going to say next. But I always know what I'm going to say next, even when I don't. Here's what I'm going to say next. Asante Samuel Sr. And you have to put the senior in because when you hear Asante Samuel now, you automatically think of his son, Asante Samuel Jr. Senior played for the Patriots for the first five years of his career before he took a big free agent deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. And Patriots fans may remember to their chagrin that in Samuel's last game with the Patriots, he had the ball in his hands for what would have been the game-ending interception that would have delivered 19-0 for the Patriots. So there already may be a predisposition to not exactly embrace anything that Asante Samuel Sr. has to say. But on the topic of the day, the thing that continues to dominate the National Football League, the status of Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, Asante Samuel Sr. chimed in as it relates to the notion that Jackson would like to play for the Patriots. Here's the tweet that just came out of the blue yesterday. The account is at pick 622. It is verified at least at least for the rest of today. <laughs> Tomorrow is a different story. Lamar Jackson, my brother, trust me, you don't want to play for Belichick. <laughs> and and look, you have to know what you're getting into when you go play for Bill Belichick. That's a given. Absolutely. Now, it doesn't matter because Jeff Howe of The Athletic reported earlier this week that the Patriots aren't interested. They won't be pursuing Lamar Jackson. We had that weird period of time when Robert Kraft acknowledged that Meek Mill had heard from Lamar Jackson about Jackson wanting to play for the Patriots, and Kraft said, hey, that's Bill Belichick's call. Bill Belichick asked about Lamar Jackson, says, I don't talk about anybody who's on another team, but he's really not on another team. It's kind of an old-school you know, for a guy who is a habitual line stepper when it comes to interpreting and applying the rules of the game, it's just odd to see Bill Belichick so adamant about not getting into anything as it relates to Lamar Jackson. So we didn't know. We didn't know where the Patriots stood on Lamar Jackson until that report came out. And we assume the report's accurate. I have no reason to doubt it. And actually, I may have heard a thing or two that that I couldn't quite necessarily use that makes me willing to embrace that report as being accurate that the Patriots are not going to pursue Lamar Jackson. But I can understand why Samuel said what he said. Look, Bill Belichick is an acquired taste. He's a guy that you have to tolerate as a coach. He's different from other coaches. He really is old school. It's the Patriot way. It's my way or the highway. It's uncompromising. It's a little gruff. It's work, work, work. It's no days off. It's we celebrate our championship and that's it. It's you have to truly love football. Sometimes you're expected to take less. You truly are interchangeable parts. And, you know, Tom Brady got to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. And I'd say there have been players over the years that get to the point where they can't take it anymore. And my guess is Asante Samuel Sr. was one of them. The question moving forward for me, when we consider 
that Kraft really did put Belichick on the hot seat this year, given how he answered a very specific question that was posed to him earlier this week. Can Bill Belichick survive another losing season, or will he be with your team long enough to catch Don Shula for the all-time wins record? Anytime you get a question like that and the answer isn't along the lines of, of course he's here. Of course, what are you talking like? What are you talking about? Yes, he's our coach. Yes, we 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 have six Super Bowl championships. We will stick with the guy that delivered six Super Bowl championships, even if we go three out of four years with no playoff appearances. When you don't get that answer, that means that Bill Belichick is on the hot seat. And will he change? Remember when Tom Coughlin, the year that the Giants beat the Patriots to win the Super Bowl to knock off the team that was headed to 19-0, thanks in part to the Samuel drop of what would have been the game-sealing interception. Coughlin was on the hot seat, and Coughlin changed his way. Coughlin was a lot like Belichick, maybe worse. And Coughlin changed, and it worked. So maybe Bill Belichick will change. It's hard to change when you're 70. It's hard enough to change when you're 50 or 40. Change when you're 70? We'll see if that happens. Let's bring in Peter. I think we have Peter. We have managed to get through 11 minutes of the show. It felt a lot longer than that. Peter, I haven't done this in a while. We don't have anybody that I can throw it to. Now I can throw it to you, and I'm going to start with the thing I was just talking about. Because I don't know if you saw or heard what Robert Kraft had to say about Bill Belichick this week, but when he was asked a specific question about Belichick's job security, he did not answer it with a hell yes. And anytime you don't answer it with a hell yes... The answer is quite possibly he is in trouble. He is expected to win this year or else. Do you get the sense that Bill Belichick is in some sort of jeopardy if he doesn't deliver a playoff appearance this year? I don't, unless it's a debacle, Mike, no, I don't think so. But it might be a debacle. If the Patriots are the fourth best team in that division and are below 500 again, Robert Kraft might look at that as a debacle. Now, obviously, you pointed out what was said in Phoenix, and I was there. I did not hear the question and answer. I think it was Mike Reese said to him, uh, what do you say to Patriots fans? And, and, you know, Belichick hates these things. He detests these things. And quite honestly, when you think about it, uh, it's a reason why Bill Belichick just in general, you know, treats most of his press conferences other than a lot of the friendlier ones, you know, in Foxborough. But he treats most of these press conferences like a trip to the dentist uh, to do oral surgery without Novocaine. And that's basically what this was. This to me was not a news story, but it was made into a news story when he said, 25 years. In other words, what he said was, we have a pretty good track record and don't worry, we're going to get this thing turned around. And the free world basically said, whoa, 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 you always say, don't talk about history. And he made a very minor reference toward history. And really, when you think about it, Mike, he's absolutely right. You know, he, you know, give us, give us a chance here. And, you know, the bottom line in this thing is, without any question, the most important person in the Patriots organization this year is Bill O'Brien. 
And he has got to get Mac Jones. Look, on the surface, you would say, right, that, you know, in some order, uh, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Tua Tonga-Valoa are one, two, three in the AFC East quarterback standings. And as of today, Mac Jones is a distant fourth. So for a long time, for two decades, Bill Belichick had the top quarterback in this division every year. And now he doesn't have it. Not only doesn't he have one or two, he's got number four. And that's why Bill O'Brien needs to do with Mac Jones this year what he did the last two years with Bryce Young. And what he needs to do is he needs to make him play better than he has played so far. Um, and, And Mike, I guess I would say one other thing about Belichick, that the important thing to realize when you're talking about Bill Belichick is that he does learn. He he he's not necessarily so set in his ways that he's not going to do anything differently. But what is what I think is important to realize with Belichick right now, he'll be 71 in three weeks. What's important to realize with Belichick right now is that he understands the pressure is on. And I don't think he particularly minds it. And I believe that he's going to respond. And the Patriots are going to be better this year. But what exactly does that mean if being better leads to seven wins? It won't look like you're better. But when Aaron Rodgers comes into the division, all of a sudden, those nice two tidy wins you have over the Jets every year, even if you are better, you're not beating the Jets twice. Who knows? You might beat them once. You're not beating them twice. And the Belichick comment about, look at the last 25 years, I think a manifestation of the pressure he's feeling both inside and outside the organization, given that they haven't won a playoff game since Super Bowl 53. They have losing records two of the last three seasons. They went to the playoffs once the last three years and lost 47 to 17 to a division rival that they'd managed to beat just a few weeks earlier in a Monday night game. So there are reasons for him to be feeling it. And when he said what he said, it didn't register for me immediately that this is contrary to everything he preaches. But then out came Teddy Bruschi saying, hey, this is contrary to everything that Bill Belichick preaches. And something made him clarify that, which we never see Bill Belichick do, in part because he never says anything. See, I think his experience this week, Peter, just confirmed that he's been doing it the right way for 25 years by never saying anything. Because when you say something, you potentially put yourself in a spot where you have to go clean up the mess that you made by the thing that you said. Now, one thing that I don't think we've played this week, I referenced it earlier. I wrote about it at PFT. But as time goes by, I'm learning that there are a lot of people who watch the show that don't read the site. And my first reaction is, why? Why? What are you doing with the rest of your day? If you're going to spend some time watching us in the morning, it's very easy to do. It's on your cell phone device. Just pick it up and check it out. So here is the question and answer posed to Robert Kraft that made me think that anything other than a hell yes is a maybe no. Maybe we won't have Bill Belichick in 2024. Let's play it. Look. I'd like him to break Don Shula's record, but um, I'm not looking for any of our players to great, get great stats. That isn't, we're, we're about winning, 
and doing whatever we can to win. And that's what our focus is now. And uh, I, it's very important to me that we uh, make the playoffs. And that's what I hope happens next year. I think Bill is exceptional at what he does. And I've given him the freedom uh, to make the choices and do the things that need to be done. And I, his football intellect and knowledge is unparalleled from what I've seen. And just when you talk to him, the small things analytically that he looks at. But in the end, this is a business. You either execute and win or you don't. And, you know, that's where we're at. I think we're, we're in a transition phase. I think we've made some moves this year that I personally am comfortable with. And um, I still believe in Bill. That was set up with the question, the specific question of, does he need to make it to the playoffs this year to be around to chase Don Shula's all-time win record? And there was equivocation right out of the gates. There wasn't a, he'll be here. He'll be here. He's got the six rings. He'll be here. So when you listen to what Robert Kraft is saying, and the whole idea, he's in charge. I've given him the freedom. This is his mess, not mine. To the extent that we're down, we're down because of him. We're not down because of me. I've handed him the checkbook. I've given him the keys. I've provided him all the discretion that he can exercise to put this team together. And the results are the only thing that matters. Peter, this is so strange to me because we've never seen it before in the modern era of football. And by modern, I mean post-free agency. We saw Chuck Noll in Pittsburgh for more than a decade after the last time he won a Super Bowl. But they were competitive throughout the 80s. It tailed off in the late 80s and into the early 90s, and then Chuck Knoll retired at the age of 58 or 59. We saw Tom Landry late in his run with the Cowboys before Jerry Jones bought the team. But to have six Super Bowl wins and to land in this four-year period where they haven't won a playoff game and it feels like they're going down, in large part because the rest of the division has caught them. We really don't know how to interpret this because we have nothing to compare it to. Well, Mike, you know, when you were talking about that, the one thing that just really occurred to me, and look, Robert Kraft's in a tough spot. You know, I, and I'll tell you what the tough spot of this is. No matter what he thinks deep down inside, if he answers that question and says, Bill Belichick is my coach for life, if that's what he says, that Bill has nothing to worry about ever. And suppose, you know, they win six games this year and seven next year, and they're in last place in each year. And Bill Belichick uh, is entering, uh, is 73 or 74 years old, whatever it would be at the time. If I'm Robert Kraft, I'm probably thinking, you know, time to give Bill the gold watch. And so, and the other thing that I thought about is, and I think you have to look at the raw numbers right now. Bill Belichick, all together, regular season and playoff wins, has 329 victories. Don Shula has 347. So Bill Belichick needs 19 victories to win, to, to pass Don Shula. 
So at this point, you answer me this question. I'll ask you this, Mike. He needs 19 victories right now, given the state of the division that he coaches in. You tell me, does Bill Belichick break that record in 2024? Or does he have to go into September or October of 2025? And could Robert Kraft see an unsuccessful two-plus years of Bill Belichick and bring him back, basically, simply to break the record of Don Shula? I don't see Kraft doing that. No, and that's the first thing he went to. We'd like to see all of our players have great statistics, but we're not here for statistics. We're here for wins. Now, the statistic in this specific case is wins, but if you're not getting them quickly enough, we're not just going to hang around for Bill Belichick to get his 19 wins to pass Don Shula all time, and he's 30 wins behind if we look at regular season, and some people hang their hat on regular season, and some people hang their hat on total wins. But either way, we're just not going to punch the clock year in and year out waiting for him to get to Don Shula. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to get back to a Super Bowl and win it. And, Peter, I don't think it's going to happen over the course of the next two years because of the fact that the Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins are dramatically better than they were during the heyday of the Patriots. And I don't want to take anything away from what the Patriots accomplished because they were consistently getting at least to the AFC Championship game Every single year. And then some years they'd follow it with a Super Bowl appearance. Some years they'd cap it with a Super Bowl win. But they were on, I mean, we talk about being on the doorstep, being on the front porch. They were banging on the door every freaking year. And when you look back at that 20 years, you can argue maybe they should have won 9 or 10. That's how close they were every single year. But one of the reasons they were in that mix every year, they ran roughshod over the three teams in their division. They had six wins. Minimum of five every year, put themselves in position to be the one seed, forced other teams to come to Foxborough in January, and position themselves where, back when you had two buys, you have a week off, you win one game at home in the division round, and there you are in the AFC Championship. And it was every year. There you are. Well, how hard is it to be in the AFC Championship every year when you're a two seed at worst, and all you have to do is win a, a, a playoff game at home? on a Saturday or Sunday in January, and you're in the AFC Championship. And again, I don't want to take anything away from it because those are not the only games on the schedule, but it's a hell of a lot easier when those teams are road apples than when they are teams (laughs) that are going to turn you into mincemeat, right? They're road apples. I haven't heard that one in a long time. Well, Mike, how about this? How about this? The other day when I, after Kraft said what he said, I just went back and looked at it and When you think about it, okay, who were the big bad wolves in that division over the last couple of years? Certainly Buffalo. And obviously, uh, it's turning into the Miami Dolphins. Okay, so if you look at the Buffalo Bills in the last three years, post-Brady, the New England Patriots have played them seven times, and they've won one. One win, six losses against the Buffalo Bills. And then you look at the Miami Dolphins, who, you know, have have always been a little bit of a nemesis 
to or nemeses, I guess the players on the team would constitute a plural. So they've always been a, uh, well, they've been a nemesis, I guess. So the Miami Dolphins, since Tom Brady walked out of there, the Patriots are two and four against the Dolphins. What that means is that in three years, the New England Patriots have lost a total of 10 games out of whatever that is, 13 games against the Bills and the Dolphins. And when you're three and 10 over your biggest competition, that means this is not just one season or two. This is three years where you are clearly, unequivocally, overall, the third best team in your division. And like I said, you have Aaron Rodgers coming in now. This is unprecedented in Bill Belichick Patriots history. This will be coming up his 24th season covering uh, or coaching the New England Patriots. And you've got to go back to his first year when he went 5-11 and to see when the New England Patriots were so clearly um, not a threat to the upper division of this division. And so I I think that when I look at it, Mike, I, I just say Robert Kraft is a patient man, but I would agree with you. I I think unless the Patriots somewhat dramatically overachieve this year and next, I won't be surprised if Belichick breaks the record somewhere else. Around any corner, Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Super Bowl odds heading into the season, the Patriots are the longest shot they've been for the entirety of Bill Belichick's tenure, all the way back to Kraft's arrival. 70-1, to 1, the longest odds for the Patriots to win the Super Bowl at this stage of the offseason since 1993, the year before Kraft bought the team. That is a sobering statistic if you're a Patriots fan or if you are Robert Kraft, who is accustomed to a certain level of performance, even though it took him a few years to find his coach who's been the guy for 24 years. And that leads me to something else. I want to bring it back to Lamar Jackson at some point. But before we do, I wrote this last night. Chris and I talked about it yesterday a little bit. If slash when Robert Kraft would move on from Bill Belichick, what does Belichick do? 
Does he land immediately somewhere else? Does he want to go somewhere else? I don't get the impression there would be the land rush for him now that there would have been five, seven, ten years ago. And if you have an entrenched general manager, that person is not going to want to hire Bill Belichick. No more than Rich McKay wanted to hire Bill Parcells before Parcells jilted the Buccaneers back in 2001, I believe it was, 2002, the year they ended up hiring Gruden. And McKay would have been out if Bill Parcells had been in. So you you almost have to restrict the universe of options to teams that press the reset button, fire the GM and the head coach, and then we're going to give the keys to Bill Belichick. Well, based on how he's driven the car the past few years in New England, do you want to do that if you're an owner of a team? It just doesn't have the luster that would have had a few years ago. Do you see him landing somewhere else immediately if Robert Kraft would decide to make a change? I do. Uh, now, Mike, look, we have to see what happens in the next two years uh, or the next year. I think it's impossible to make a blanket statement that some owner entering Bill Belichick's age 73 year would definitely absolutely hire him. I asked this question to Pete Carroll this week at the league meetings, and he was pretty dismissive of it. But I said, I said, you and Bill Belichick. You know, you're both coaching into your 70s. Is there going to be a day when, as Robert Kraft once said, I think there's no reason to think that Bill Belichick couldn't coach into his 80s. You know, look at what Warren Buffett is doing um, well past 80. And if you look at the energy of guys like Bill Belichick, Belichick going all these pro days, Pete Carroll going to day after day after day and exulting and talking about how fun it is to go to all the quarterback pro days you know, feeling like he's back out on the recruiting trail. And so there are exceptions to the rule of age and they're growing, uh, you know, they're growing by the year. And so I would just say this, I doubt that Bill Belichick at 73, you know, that George Hallis coached his last game at 73 and he looked like he was 73 going on 87. And I don't think from looking at Bill Belichick right now that he's going to be 73 going on 87. I think he's going to be 73 going on 61. You know, I honestly think just like with Tom Brady, with a lot of these coaches, now age is just a number. And, and Mike, you know, let's, let's, let's look into the future a little bit. Just, just, and just say, if you're an owner of a team, and you have a chance to get one of the or the greatest football coach of all time to reset the standard in your organization for two or three years and and maybe bring on someone who can be his successor while he uh you know while the 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 organization gets built back up i, I think he would get hired immediately I remember a time a few years ago where there was a minor dust-up about Belichick being unhappy, the whole Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady thing, who put their thumb on the scale, was it Brady going to craft? And somebody suggested in the aftermath of that that maybe Belichick would want to go coach the Giants, and it was explained to me, and I think this is a valid point. The problem with Belichick going anywhere else is it's going to take him four to five years to get the team to the point where he wants it to be by way of going to a new team 
and getting ownership to give him everything he wants and getting everything in place and getting the systems the way they are with the Patriots, all the stuff that goes on behind the curtain that we don't know about that helps him get his team to where he needs his team to be. That's going to be part of what he would have to embrace if he goes somewhere else. And I think for a two or a three year stint, it's not enough. He'd really want to have to put time into it and push it all the way, maybe to 80 to get to the point where he could be winning championships again or competing at least, getting on the doorstep and pounding on the door and getting to the conference championship every year. So it's something to watch, something to monitor, and the Patriots definitely going to have a harder time this year than maybe they've had at any point during the Bill Belichick tenure as coach of the team. Now, when you said this earlier, that's when I made the mental note to bring it back to Lamar Jackson. Because you're right, Mac Jones is a distant fourth when we talk about quality of quarterback for the New England Patriots in the AFC East. But Jeff Howe of The Athletic reports, and I tend to think he's right, the Patriots aren't going to make a run at Lamar Jackson. Now there are plenty of factors. The one thing we rarely talk about when we look at the Deshaun Watson deal last year, because we get so focused on the fully guaranteed contract, look at the draft capital the Browns gave up to get Deshaun Watson. You are throwing away all these picks that become affordable, effective players in your organization for five, six, seven years, maybe longer than that. And it was one of the other things that Robert Kraft said this week, that they value those draft picks. So it's not just the money, it's the draft capital. I guess I'm not surprised because it could disrupt the way you're trying to build a team, but it's Lamar Jackson, and he's dramatically better than Mac Jones. Does it surprise you at all that it doesn't even seem to be a consideration for Bill Belichick as he tries to turn this thing around against much better competition? Does not surprise me at all. I think, you know, Bill Belichick is of the school that the best trait of a football player is not ability, but availability. And that's a dumb old cliche. I get it. But... Everyone, this has been my opinion forever on the Lamar Jackson story. Everyone would like to have Lamar Jackson on their team, uh, on the surface, theoretically. But then the reality of it sets in. Hmm. The last two years, the Ravens have played 12 games in January and December. And of those 12 games, Lamar Jackson has started and finished one. He's missed 34% of the snaps the last two years. He plays a position and plays the position in a way that he is going to get exposed to a lot of hits. And so people continue to talk about no one wants to get involved in the guaranteed money. No one, you know, wants to do the Ravens work for him. And I get that. You're right about that. You're absolutely right. The number one and Arthur Blank said it the other day. Basically, you know, you hope this guy lasts another X number of years playing the position the way uh, he does. But the fact is, he's been hurt a lot the last two years. Do you want to guarantee uh, four or five years of nearly fully guaranteed contracts or fully guaranteed contracts to a guy who the last two years has missed a third of the time because of injury, however they occur? So... That's one part of it. But, Mike, the other part of it is, is, is I think, is that the way the Patriots uh, work and the way the Patriots 
a function is that they've never going back to Tom Brady. They've never wanted one guy to take up, you know, 18, 20% of the cap. And however it would be structured long-term, this would leave the pay. Even if you push it way into the future, you know, with fake years on the end of a contract, this is going to be an anchor on the Patriots franchise for years. If, if, it doesn't go well. Now it might go great, it, you know, and he might not get hurt, and he might, and all that stuff. But the fact is, the reason why this contract is hard for anybody to do, and why I think nobody really wants to enter into it, is they don't want an, a potential anchor on their franchise. And when we eliminate the Patriots, which I think is an accurate thing to do for the reasons you explained and others. How? Let me let me let me just say this first though, because. It's indisputable he missed time each of the last two Decembers. The one thing that I still can't fully understand and appreciate is whether he would have come back and played last year if he had his long-term financial security. I don't know that. And I don't fault him for refusing to come back at anything less than 100% without his long-term financial security because he's assuming risk with no protection of any kind if he comes back for the last few games of the regular season, if he plays in that playoff game, he's got nothing beyond that game by way of any type of injury guarantee, contract, nothing. So, I and I don't know that we're ever going to get to the truth because I think he's very defensive about it. Look at his tweets from this week. He was suggesting at one point he wasn't even at 90% as – the end of the season came about and there's mixed signals that you get from various sources throughout the league as to where he was and whether he could have played and was there frustration in the locker room that this guy could have played and yet Mike Vick say just put a brace on it and at one point I think even John Harbaugh said we don't think he can he can injure it any worse than it already is if he would try to play so that's the one caveat that I would apply I don't know whether he would have missed all that time last year, Peter, if he had his contract. But you're right. He was injured two consecutive Decembers. It's inherent to the way that he plays football. It's one of the reasons why he's looking for such significant financial guarantees in his contract. The best quarterbacks in today's NFL play in a way way that there's a greater degree of mobility and thus more opportunities to get injured when you're running around, either down the field or behind the line of scrimmage. Used to be, didn't need a fully guaranteed contract. Pocket passer, there's no reason to not pay him. There's no reason to even consider cutting him. He's our guy for as long as his contract lasts. Now, those guarantees are meaningful. So, it just speaks to, and Chris and I agreed within the past week or so, there's a stew of factors. Is there some collusion going on? I think there is. But that's not by any means the motivating factor that's causing teams to shy away. It's a bunch of things. And you throw them all together, and it doesn't surprise me that we're hearing no, 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 no. And the only team out there that maybe is thinking about saying yes is the Colts. And I'm not sure whether or not they're just doing that. So there's somebody that isn't in lockstep with everyone else saying no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Look, Mike, remember, um, I've, I've had, I asked this question to a few teams at the, at the league meetings. The question was, and what was the number that Lamar Jackson said? I think it was in response to an Adam Schefter tweet 
that, um, you know, basically, why do I need an agent when uh, when I get an offer of three years for 100 and what was it, 128, 133, 133, yeah, 133 yes. million. And so if you if you ask this question, you know, 133 million, what is that? The Ravens, it sounds like the Ravens offered him a contract of three years and $43 million a year, 44 million, excuse me, a year. So I I guess I would just ask this question, fully guaranteed. Is there anybody out there who thinks that that is unfair? I, I, I can't find uh, many people who think that offering a guy who's been hurt a lot the last two years, a fully guaranteed contract for 43 or $44 million a year uh, for three years, making him a free agent again at age 29 to take another bite of the apple. And if he is healthy for those three years, somebody's going to pay him $70 million a year in 2025 or 2026. That's my only point to this. We have gotten so caught up in the whole... Uh, you know, people like Richard Sherman would say he deserves this, he deserves that, and 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 uh, Deion Sanders saying, you know, don't listen to anybody else. You know, the bottom line in this thing is, people can say whatever they want about how this is unfair and the Ravens are acting in bad faith or whatever it is, but if Richard Sherman were a general manager today, do you think that Richard Sherman would look at dispassionately? at the case of Lamar Jackson and say, I will give him five years fully guaranteed $250 million. And if he would, hey, it could turn out he'll be executive of the year. <laughs> you know, if if Lamar Jackson is uh, healthy uh, and and delivers a Super Bowl for his team, and then Richard Sherman would be right, and all the naysayers like me would be wrong. But I don't think that that is a logical way to go based on the last two years. And Richard Sherman could never be dispassionate in a case like this because Lamar Jackson is the current guinea pig for Sherman's campaign to get more and more players and ideally all players to not have agents because that continues to be the big impediment here. And every once in a while, I, I'll see this argument that, you know, the Ravens should do a deal with him because they did a deal with Roquan Smith, who doesn't have an agent. So why not do a deal with Lamar Jackson? He doesn't have an agent. And that that gets it backward. At some point, if you're going to represent yourself, you have to know when to say yes. Roquan Smith knew when to say yes. Other players who have represented themselves knew when to say yes. Say yes to three years, 133. Say yes to the best offer that the Ravens made last August. And we still don't know the full terms because the dribs and drabs have been selective leaks by the Ravens, or not the Ravens, excuse me, let me get it right, by Lamar Jackson or the NFLPA. The Ravens haven't said anything. I'd love to know the full terms of the offer that the Ravens made last August that Lamar said no to. But that's the key, Peter. If you're going to represent yourself, fine. At some point, it's on you to do a deal. At some point, you have to know when to say yes. You can't say no to everything that is presented to you. And if you sit back, Cross your arms and say, I want this. If you're going to go Veruca Salt, I want, I want, I want, and no one's ever going to give you what you want, at some point you got to take what you can get or you ain't getting anything. 
That's the bottom line here. And that's what leads me to the next point. What's the end game here? If no other team is going to pursue Lamar Jackson because they already know what he wants and they don't want to give it to him and they don't want to have to give the Ravens what they would want by way of trade compensation, it comes down to Jackson and the Ravens. So they either work out the long-term deal they've been unable to work out for two-plus years by July 17, or after that, they come to a consensus on a one-year deal that currently would pay Lamar Jackson $32.4 million, which I wouldn't play for if I were him. So what more do the Ravens put on the table? And do they ever get to a point where he says yes? Peter, I've been – and it started as a question somebody posed to me four or five weeks ago, the idea of Lamar sitting out 2023, and it's like, oh, he's not going to sit out. And it's like, you know what? Maybe he'll sit out. Because until he says yes to something, he is sitting out. He's never said yes to anything other than his original contract, which was slotted and there was nothing to negotiate. He's got to say yes at some point. And – and again, the Ravens get player after player to say yes with agents, without agents. They put an offer on the table that someone says yes to. The one aberration is Lamar Jackson. And I'm not trying to gang up on Lamar Jackson, but folks, before we take up this, whoa, it's on the Ravens to make him an offer he'll take. It's on him to accept an offer that gets made. At some point, he's got to say yes. I just keep thinking, Mike, and one of the reasons why I wrote my column this week that I think it's incumbent on the Ravens right now to start looking at the uh, that a very, very thin uh, class of veteran free agent quarterbacks. Uh, and there are a few, but I'm thinking Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Brian Hoyer. Uh, and I don't even, I, I'm sure that there are others, but it, I think it's incumbent on them to start looking at this at this class of quarterbacks because I don't think you want to take a quarterback in the first round and probably not in the second round of this draft. I would anticipate the Ravens would take a quarterback maybe in the third or fourth round. Who knows? I don't know. But I don't think you want to use a very high pick for a guy who you're not sure is ever going to play. But as of right now, Mike, as you look at this scenario – Every offer that they've made apparently has been rebuffed because none of them have resulted in a deal. And it strikes me when something like this happens, it strikes me that Lamar Jackson does not want to play for your team. So if that's the case, they better be ready. And you do not want to go into your season in my opinion, with Tyler Huntley as your absolute no doubt 17-game starting quarterback, you've got to find a way to create competition. Now, maybe that is in trading with somebody for a quarterback uh, during training camp. Who knows? But if you're trading for a quarterback during training camp, when you realize with finality that Lamar Jackson <clears throat> is either not coming in or he's not going to come in till Labor Day weekend, then you're dealing from a position of ultimate weakness. And that's why right now, there's no question, this is being hugely disruptive. We talk about the Patriots being number four in their division. The Ravens aren't number four in, in, in their division. But it's possible if they go into the season with Tyler Huntley and some <clears throat> retread veteran as their quarterback depth chart, they will be 
far and away. Uh, I shouldn't say far and away. They would be the fourth team in the division at the quarterback position uh, with obviously with Kenny Pickett uh, above them. And I don't think that's a position you want to be in. And so Lamar Jackson has the Ravens in a very, very tough spot right now. There was a report this week from JoeBucksFan.com that before saying yes to the Buccaneers, Baker Mayfield had an offer from the Ravens that he declined. So they're at least exploring these possibilities to protect themselves in the event they don't have Lamar Jackson. So we spin it forward. I believe at this point no one is going to try to negotiate with, trade for, sign to an offer sheet Lamar Jackson until after the draft. Right now the potential candidates, I believe – would be teams that are secretly lurking in that first round of the draft for a quarterback. Every year there's a team or two or sometimes more than that, and sometimes we never know because they don't come out and tell us that was thinking about snatching a quarterback but kept their mouth completely shut. If there's teams out there that are thinking, we'd like to get one of the top quarterbacks, let's see what happens, and then they don't, then maybe they say, we go back and revisit Lamar Jackson. And the Colts would be the first of those. Like if the Colts end up seeing quarterback, quarterback, one and two, somebody trades up with the Cardinals, takes a quarterback number three, and they just don't take a quarterback, they're the obvious candidate to come back at Lamar Jackson. There could be others that are thinking about taking quarterbacks in round one that are being extremely discreet. So that's that's where a market's going to come from if there is one. But Peter, if there is no external market for Lamar Jackson, And if he doesn't want to play for the Ravens, and we know he's very strong-willed, whether you call it determined, strong-willed, or stubborn, right? I want a fully guaranteed contract, and I'm not backing off. I'm going to do this without an agent, and I'm not backing off. I don't want to play for the Ravens, and I'm not backing off. I mean, we, we need to be ready for the possibility he doesn't play this year, and we're back in this spot next year. And how's it going to be any different next year? And then he doesn't play next year. I mean, I I had this, and I don't want to say epiphany, but it was just this moment the other night when I was thinking about this. It's like, there's a way, and it's not like he storms out and says, I'm retiring at age 26, but it just happens one day at a time where he just never plays again because he never finds an offer that he says yes to. I guess that's possible, Mike. It just seems... I don't want to say it seems nonsensical, but it, it seems, just seems so highly uh, unlikely. I guess I know, nothing would but, shock me But when me you take it this, one step, you, have you take a, it one if, step if at you, a time. If, you, if I asked you this question, that you're not going to get everything you want, but uh, I would pay you $30 million. You, you put a price tag of $50 million on PFT, and you go out in the market and say, hey, who wants to buy this from me, blah, 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 blah. And the most you get offered is $35 million. Uh, at some point, don't you say, I'll take the $35 million. I can never spend that money in my lifetime anyway. Um, because knowing how frugal you are, you couldn't spend $3 million. You know? <laughs> but, but all I'm saying is that, to me, when I look at this situation, at some point, and, and, and again, this has been, this is well-tread ground right now about why a player in his position right now should have an agent. It's because you need somebody to tell you, look, here are the alternatives. Here's what you need to think about. 
And wouldn't it be better for you if you made, let's say the next two years, two years, 90 million or whatever it is, wouldn't that be better than just to say, okay, I'm not playing on this one year at 32. And unless you give me whatever the number is, the magic number, 52, 55 million a year guaranteed, you know, you're not going to get that. So how about playing for this, this amount of money that for the next six or eight months, you never thought in your whole life you would ever make until the last couple of years? It all makes perfect sense. The problem is there's been no perfect sense made from Lamar Jackson's perspective at any point during these negotiations. That's why, to me, when you think about it in isolation, it sounds nutty. When you look at it and you compare it to the decisions made and not made until we got to this point, it isn't all that nutty to envision him continuing to say, no, I want what I want, no, I want what I want, no, I want what I want, and next thing you know, it's 2025 and he hasn't played football for two consecutive seasons because he never said yes. He's so determined to go it alone. He's so determined to not have that Jiminy Cricket telling him what he should be doing and listening. He wants what he wants. It's uncompromising. It's unrelenting. And at this point, it has him without a contract. And again, until he says yes, he'll continue to not have a contract And I don't see a path out of this maze where he ends up saying yes, unless he changes. Either he has to change or the Ravens slash some other team have to change. And there's been nothing, Peter, so far this year that tells me anyone else is going to change. He's the one that's going to have to change. Like you said, if you want $50 million for an asset, and damn it, I want $50 million, and you ask everybody out there for $50 million, and they'll tell you, sorry, the most we're giving you $35, if I don't say yes... I get zero. That's yeah. the key. At some point, Lamar's got to say yes to something less than what he wants, or he continues to get nothing. And 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 you know, I I flirt with this idea from time to time because you know, we oh, you're a Lamar hater because you say he needs an agent. You no. If I was a Lamar hater, I'd say, hey, all right, man, keep doing what you're doing. You're kicking ass. Keep representing yourself. This is all going really, really well. Keep at a boy. <laughs> I mean. At some point, I just got to say, this guy's 26 years old. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness includes within it the right to screw up your life if you choose to do so. Go for it, Lamar. Go for it. It's not my business. It's your business. Keep saying no to every offer that comes your way. And you're going to wake up someday. You're going to be 30 years old. And you want to play football in four years. And that's that. That's that. And so that's that's – if he never says yes, Peter – That's where we end up. Let's take a break. We went longer than I thought we would on that, but I think it was a lot of great stuff back and forth, as it always would when we have Peter on the show. When we return, the potential for a Thursday night flex caused an uproar this weekend. John Mara, co-owner of the Giants, did not hold back. Peter and I will talk about that dynamic as it relates to the NFL when PFD Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.